Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. <clears throat> Last time we were in this chapter, we, we dealt with some critics, some critical people uh, uh, instigated by, by Judas. Uh, and, and we know Jesus took care of that. Say amen. amen. First couple points tonight will be kind of a, a little brief review of that, and then go right into the uh, to verse number 22, and we're going to look at the triumphal entry of the Lord. All right, John chapter 12, verse 1, if you're there, say amen. amen. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard very costly and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. <clears throat> then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear that was put in therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my bearing has she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead." Uh, Lazarus had kind of become like a sideshow, you know, I mean, everybody wants to see the guy that was dead for four days and come back to life. How many of y'all understand that? Say amen. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Not only are they uh, angry at Jesus and want to kill him, they want to kill or destroy any evidence that Jesus is who he said he was. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was come to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, the king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they these things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees, therefore, said unto among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. And the same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. We would like to see Jesus. We would like to have an interview with Jesus. We'd like to talk to him. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your blessings and your kindness. And uh, thank you for an opportunity to, to share your word, study your word. And God, I pray that you'll edify us tonight. Strengthen us. Give us what we stand in need of. And Lord, I, you know how desperately I need you tonight. And I pray that you'll just fill me with your spirit. And Lord, let me teach what you'd have to say. Don't let me say anything out of the way, something I shouldn't. And Lord, don't let me forget something that's important that I should. Lord, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We are looking uh, first at the account that we read and studied a couple weeks ago. And uh, then we're going to uh, focus on the triumphal entry of the Lord into Jerusalem. Uh, this is one of the events... Uh, this is just one of a few events that all four Gospels covered and all four Gospels included in their writings. The, all three synoptic Gospels and the Gospel of John included the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And so that's what the main focus is going to be tonight. But just by way of, of putting all the information together, I went ahead and threw the other two, the first two points in there with this. So uh, we'll, we'll just kind of review a little bit 
and go right on into it, all right? Jesus, as you know, has kind of uh, been just kind of kept, kept away and kept in hiding, if you will, uh, uh, because his time had not yet come. You know, you hear that over and over and over. Uh, my time has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. But now it's here. Now we're in the last week of his life, uh, and he is fixing to get the ball rolling. He's fixing to speed things up a little bit, if you will. And uh, he kind of forces the issue. He kind of uh, pushes, the, pushes the envelope and comes close to Jerusalem and, 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 and really instigates and starts the whole ball rolling. And, and so now he, here he is in this room. He is here in this, this, this uh, time of fellowship and uh, 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 time of uh, uh, refreshing with his friends and some of the, his close disciples. And, and as we read before, Mary comes and anoints him. Mary takes something that is very precious to her, something that is very expensive. Uh, uh, most scholars say it could be her life savings. It, it's, a, it's basically uh, uh, a year's worth of salary for somebody and, and basically brings the best that she has and gives to Jesus and anoints him and shows him affection and shows him love. And, and, and Judas has a problem with it. Judas doesn't like it. Judas doesn't like what she did. Uh, he thinks that it was a waste of money, and he tries to make up this excuse and say, why, did, why didn't we sell this and give to the poor? Look at the waste. Well, we, we also know that that's a lie. That that's a lie. Uh, so if you're taking notes, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Uh, number one, I want you to write this. I want you to write this. Uh, we see a hypocritical criticism. A hypocritical criticism. I'd like to say probably 80 to 90% of all criticism is hypocritical. Since y'all like that so good, I'm going to say it again. <clears throat> probably 80 to 90% of all criticism, there is constructive criticism, but most of the time it's hypocritical criticism. What is a hypocrite? It's somebody who wears a mask. It's somebody who, who, who hides their true nature, who hides what they really are. And, and so we know this is hypocritical because the Bible says so. So here's what I want you to write underneath that. What, what makes it hypocritical? Because it was a disguise in order to hide. It was a disguise in order to hide. He wanted to disguise who he really was. Who was he really? He was a thief. He didn't care about the poor. He didn't care about some hungry person getting something to eat. He didn't care about somebody who was cold and needed a coat. That was, that, that was so far beyond what he cared about. He cared about the money. He was the money bag holder, and he wanted to have his grubby hands on what she had. Say amen. It was a disguise. The whole thing was a disguise. The whole, the whole start of the criticism was nothing but a disguise to hide who he really is. And that's usually what criticism is. Criticism is usually somebody trying to put somebody else down in order to look better about themselves. And, and so anyway, it's a disguise to hide. Not only that, not only that, but B, write this down. It's dangerously contagious. It's dangerously contagious. And as we learned the last time, uh, Judas started it, but they all chimed in. They all chimed in. Be careful who you team up with when you go to criticizing somebody. Be careful who you team up with when you go to criticizing somebody. You never, never criticize something you don't understand. Are y'all with me? Because you might end up looking like a fool in the end. Are y'all with me? Contagious, contagious. Number two, number two, first we find the hypocritical criticism. Then number two, we find a divine correction. We find a divine correction. Jesus sees what's going on. He hears what's going on. First thing he says is leave her alone. Leave her alone. Shut your mouth. Leave her alone. She's done a good thing. He begins to defend her. One of the gospels says this. Not only has she done a good thing, but for the rest of, the rest of mankind's history, she's going to be told, or, or it's going to be told everybody about what she did. And there has been for centuries and for years and years and years, people who have preached the gospel have told this story about her gift and her affection. Are y'all with me? And, and now think about this too. I didn't think about it just now. Not only have they told about her gift and her love and her affection and how precious it was, they've also said about the criticism. 
So, so in history, what do you want to be known for? The worshiper or the critic? Amen. All right, let's move right along. We're liking that one just as good as the first one. Amen. All right, divine correction. Divine correction. Two things underneath this. First, we see this. It rebuked. It rebuked. Jesus rebuked their behavior. He rebuked their activity. <clears throat> he rebuked their criticism. Now, what do we need to, what do we need to take from that? Jesus ain't real, he ain't real fond of critics. He ain't real fond of criticism. Especially false criticism. Especially hypocritical criticism. Preacher, how can you, how can you tell if it's hypocritical criticism? Uh, usually it's, it's because it's told to somebody else, not the person you're criticizing. Constructive criticism, constructive criticism is told to the person you're trying to help. And, and, and usually, usually it's best to do this. Usually it's best to do this. Uh, unsolicited advice usually is not well taken. So what do I do, preacher? I would just suggest keep your mouth shut. <clears throat> That's the best way to do it. And then when they ask, then you can say, well, this is what I think the word of God says. Are y'all with me? All right. All right. It rebuked. This is something I've seen. This is something I've seen today. It not only rebuked, but it revealed. It revealed. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? Turn with me. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. <clears throat> Matthew chapter number 26. This is, this is uh, Matthew's version of events and what took place. And I want you to see something very significant. Very significant. Something that took place. Something that happened. All right. Matthew 26, let's look in verse number 10. Verse number 10. When you get there, say amen. amen. All right. Matthew 26, 10. Watch this. This is the same situation. Jesus is fixing to get on to them. He's fixing to rebuke them. Watch what he says. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for a memorial of her. Verse 14, first word, what is it? Amen. Say it again. Amen. Say it again. Amen. Then, then, one of them. We know Judas. Then Judas goes to the high priest and determines to betray the Lord. All right, now think about this. Think about this. Now we know, we know he was a devil from the beginning. We know he wasn't in, in a genuine relationship with Jesus. He, he, he didn't care about Jesus' theology he didn't care about Jesus being the Savior, the Messiah. He was looking for an earthly king who he could rule with. He was about power. He was about control. He was a thief. And when he realized that this wasn't going well and it wasn't going to be what he thought it was going to be, he decided to jump ship. But what was it? What was it that caused it to happen? What was the, what was the straw that broke the camel's back. It was when he was rebuked by Jesus. It was when he was corrected by Jesus. Now this is what God showed me. This is what God showed me today. As I was reading this, I was looking at this. There's something about correction. There's something about correction. If the truth be known, if the truth be known, there's not many people in here, there's not many people in here, if any people in here, that likes to be told you're wrong. Am I right? From the pulpit to the last pew. Nobody likes to be corrected. Nobody likes to be rebuked. 
But there's something about correction, there's something about rebuking that it'll do. It will reveal what's really in you. Correction will either make a man better or to make a man bitter. Now watch this. Look at the verses. Go back to your verses. Now, now do y'all see that before we go back? Do y'all see that in Matthew? It was that moment. It was at that time that he decided, forget this, I'm going. And he, he decided to go betray Jesus. Now watch this. Watch this. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 11. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his what? For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. Proverbs 15, 10. Watch what it says. This is so important. Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way. And he that hateth reproof, reproof is another word for correction or rebuke. He that hateth reproof shall what? Proverbs 12, 1. Whoso loveth instruction loveth knowledge, but he that hateth reproof, that's correction, is brutish. If you will look up the word brutish, it is it's simply, this is a definition. It means you're stupid. I'm not, I'm not, being, I'm not being mean. I'm not being, uh, I'm telling you, you look the word up. It means stupid. We do not go around calling people brutish. Well, I hope you don't go around calling people stupid either, but it, it means stupid. If, if, you, if you are the type of person who will not be told what to do, if you're the type of person who refuses correction, if you're the type of person who, who the Bible says you're stupid, you're foolish. And, and here's, the, here's the outcome of that type of mentality and the outcome of that type of behavior. They shall die. Destruction. Devastation. Uh, y'all know the outcome of Judas. You know what he did? He went out and hung himself and his bowels burst out. You know one of the reasons why? He couldn't take correction. He couldn't take rebuking. You know the other disciples, they probably looked at each other and said, hmm. My bad. How ignorant are we? Man, we shouldn't have been that way. What were we thinking? What were we thinking? But not Judas. Not Judas. It made him angry. It made him mad. It made him bitter. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And guess what? He went out to get what he was after anyway. He went, to the, he went to the high priest and said, what will you, say it, what will you give me? Listen, you want to see what's in somebody? You want to know what's in you? Let somebody correct you. I'm talking about a genuine, real, biblical, hey, this is what needs to happen. If you get angry, if you get mad, you need to check up. There's two different responses. I didn't mean to spend this much time, but I'm feeling it right now. So, so we find two different groups of people, two different groups of people in the book of Acts. One is being corrected by Peter, and one is being corrected by Stephen. One is being rebuked by Peter, one is being rebuked by Stephen. It's amazing because Peter and Stephen have the same message. They preach the same gospel. They say the same things. They, they, they apply the same application to both sets of people. One set, Peter's, Peter's congregation, the Bible says that they were pricked in the heart. They were pricked in the heart and said, men and brethren, what must we do? In other words, they felt guilty. They felt convicted. They felt like we need to do something about this. They were broken over what he said. They were broken over their correction. They were broken over the truth that they heard. And they said, what do we need to do about it? Tell us what to do to fix it. When you have a right heart, you'll have a desire to fix what's being corrected. But then we find Stephen. Y'all heard me say this over and over in here. Stephen, he was, he was, a, he was addressing a crowd that the Bible says that when he when he told them and rebuked them and corrected them and gave them the application of truth. They were cut to the heart. Not pricked in the heart, but cut to the heart. 
and they gnashed upon him with their teeth and they literally took him out and stoned him to death. You know why? They didn't like correction. Now what determined, what determined Peter seeing thousands of people saved and repenting and Stephen being taken out and stoned? It was a heart issue. One was pricked in the heart, the other was cut to the heart. What determines whether you get pricked or whether you get cut, whether you stiffen up or not? You take, you take this shirt and, 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 and this shirt's kind of loose and you can, you can stick it with a knife and it'll only make a little prick, it'll only make a little hole. But I can stiffen up this shirt and you hit it with a knife and it's going to cut it. Let me tell you why they were cut to the heart. They were stiff. Stubborn. Listen, God may be speaking to some of you tonight. God may have been trying to speak to some of you tonight. Are you going to listen? Or are you going to be like Judas and just reveal what's really there? Being corrected will reveal what is really inside you. Church, say amen. <clears throat> we find a hypocritical criticism, a divine correction, which leads us into number three. Now we see a traitorous conniving. A traitorous conniving. He goes straight to the high priest. What will you give me? What will you give me? Boy, when you read, when you read parts of, of the gospel story and you read parts of... Uh, how it all, it, it, it almost looks like, uh, oh, oh, look out, Jesus. Uh oh, he's going, you know, like, like, but then when you see the truth of the matter, that God was never out of control. Say, so what do you mean? Look in your notes. Look in your notes. Back in Zechariah, <clears throat> back in Zechariah, in other words, you, you look at it and said, you know, he picked 12 and one of them's a devil. Uh oh, Jesus made a mistake. Nope. It wasn't a mistake. It was all planned. It was all according to plan. Look what it says, Zechariah 11. <clears throat> and I said unto them, if ye think good, give me my price. If not, forbear it. Now this is Zechariah speaking. In other words, he is speaking as the Messiah. He is prophetically speaking the words that Jesus would be speaking in this particular situation. And this is a prophetic uh, utterance uh, years and years and years before Jesus ever arrived on this planet of what was going to happen at his betrayal. Look what it says. And I said unto them, if you think good, give me my price. If not, forbear. So they weighed for me or for my price 30 pieces of what? And the Lord said unto me, cast it unto the potter a goodly price that I was priced out of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Now, what will we see? What will we see? I want you to write down in your notes and then we'll, we'll look at those five things. It was prophetically revealed. This did not take God by surprise. This did not slip up on Jesus. Jesus is instigating this whole thing. He is fulfilling prophecy. Now watch what, this, watch what this one verse, or actually two verses, the two verses in Zechariah, when we compare them to the gospel story and the gospel's account, look how they match up. Number one, uh, Zechariah predicted and prophesied that they would be haggling over the price. In other words, uh, they, are, they are trying to determine, what will you give me? I, I'll give you this much. Well, I'll take this much. They were going back and forth over the price. Not only were they haggling over the price, but he, he, he uh, prophesied specifically the type of coin. It wasn't a copper coin. wasn't a gold coin. It was silver. Not only was he specified in the coin type, he was specific in the number of coins. How many? 30. You know what? You know what? Look, look, look what it says. Look what it says in your notes. Cast it under the potter. And then this little very last verse. And cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. What did, what did Judas do? What did Judas do when he felt guilty? Listen, he came back to the temple and took those 30 pieces of silver and threw it in the house of the Lord and then busted all over the floor in the, in the temple. And then what did they do with it? What did they do with it? They took the same money. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing 
The hypocritical high priests who had blood on their hands refused to take blood money and put it in the treasury. They didn't mind giving the money to kill an innocent man, but they were so... Are y'all getting this? How superficial they are in their religion. How crazy, how crazy. How can you even think this way? But what did they do with the silver? They turned around and bought the potter's field. It's all in these verses. Preacher, why are you saying all this? Because you need to understand, there's never a time, there's never a time where God is not in control. This did not slip up on Jesus. Not only is is there never a time that God is not in control, God is maneuvering everything to fulfill His perfect will. Church, say amen. We see it is prophetically revealed. Not only that, it's divinely initiated. It's divinely initiated. Say, what are you saying? Here's the deal. Here's the deal. The Pharisees, the Pharisees, the chief priests, they want to kill him. They want to do away with him. But he's popular. They want to kill him. They want to do away with him. Uh, He is really messing up the deal they got going, uh, which I believe you could trace that back to money too. And, and so we got to get this guy dead. We got to kill him. But we can't do it in an obvious way because it's going to make us look bad. And we can't do it. We can't do it really in, in the season because it's about to be Passover. And, 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 and man, a lot of people think that this guy is the real deal. And, and if we do that, there's going to be an, a, a riot and an uproar of the people. So we, we, we really don't want to do it at the Passover. But here's the problem. That was the divine time that God had planned For Jesus, who was Jesus? It was announced by John Baptist. This is the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. He is the Passover Lamb. Jesus had to die on Passover. So what is Jesus doing? He's coming into town and forcing their hand. You see how, when you you see it unfolding, you can see it just like a plan coming together. Why did Jesus come into town when he did? Why did Jesus do what he did? Why did he rebuke him? And he knew what Judas was going to do. It was all a part in the plan. He's initiating everything. Everything. Why did he raise Lazarus like he did? Why Why did that take place? Because he knew that that would force the hand of the Pharisees. They've got to kill him now because everybody's believing on him because of Lazarus. Isn't this great? God's in control. God's got a plan. You know, you know, you know that, that, that commercial, never let him see you sweat? He never has. God, God is, listen, he's always had a plan. He will fulfill his plan. Somebody say amen. Amen. All right. Look what it says. We see he decides to go tell them. What will you give me? I'll deliver him unto you. But they had to do it secretly. They had to do it in a way that wouldn't cause an uproar of the people. They had to do it in a way uh, that they they could get him without any kind of uprising of the people. So at that point, he began to think. What can I do to betray him? Where can, I, where can I get him? How can we make this happen? All right, now let's go back to John. Go back to John. <clears throat> we see after, after the, the, the room experience, after the criticism and Jesus rebukes it, Judas goes out to do his treachery. Look what it says in verse 10. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. 
On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, where when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, and as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, which is Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. Now, I want, I want to do this. I, write this down. We see a superficial celebration. We see a superficial celebration. I'm going to kind of, if you'll bear with me, uh, kind of go through the other Gospels and just explain to you as we, how many of y'all have seen so far as we've been going through these studies that we can take a little bit of Luke and a little bit of Mark and, and a little bit of John and put it together and you see a bigger picture. You see a fuller picture of what happened because all of them include a little bit of stuff and you can put it, it together and see a full color version of what happened. All right, here's what took place. Jesus, he gets close to Jerusalem. <clears throat> he gets close to Jerusalem. He sends two of his disciples. He sends two of his disciples into a nearby village there. And he said, look, you're going to find you're going to find an ass and a foal. And he says, I want you to go and take them and bring them to me. Bring them to me. And if anybody says anything, just tell them the Lord hath need of them. So here goes these two disciples. They're going in. They find it just like Jesus said it was, and they begin to loose them. And they brought them both. So, you know, most pictures you see just the, just the little colt, but, but it, it, in, in reality, they've got both of them. And they use the, they use the mama to lead the other, and, and, and so uh, uh, they got there. They said, what, what are you doing? Hey, 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 where, where are you going with that? They said, the Lord hath need of these. Obviously, obviously the owners of the animals was a believer. They, they knew who the Lord was. They recognized who the Lord was. They were submissive uh, to the will of the Lord and what the Lord needed them to do. So they bring, they bring the cult to Jesus. So if you're writing notes down, write this. There's three things I want you to see about this uh, triumphal entry. First, I want you to see the cult. The cult. Why a cult? <clears throat> well, one reason, it was to fulfill prophecy. It was to fulfill prophecy. But another reason is to show what he was really doing. <clears throat> and it says in Zechariah 9, 9, Rejoice greatly. This is the prophecy he was fulfilling. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold thy what? Thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. All right. Well, let me, let me go back. He is just and having salvation. What's the next word? Say it again. Say it again. All right. If they would have known their scriptures, when they seen the picture of Jesus coming in, automatically they should have automatically they should have known that's him that's him why it perfectly fulfilled prophecy now why now this is this is Jesus's presentation of himself one writer said it was really the only public presentation of himself of who he was so this was the only uh, public presentation of him as a king he's coming in as a king but boy it's different it's different than, than most earthly kings. Most earthly kings would come on a stallion and would come in pomp and circumstance and, and would come in power and glory and, 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 and showing, off, showing off their enemy that they have captured, showing off all the spoils of war. But here comes Jesus on a lowly coat Showing his humility. Showing that he's a different kind of conqueror. He's not coming to take a crown. He's coming to die. He's coming to give his life. He's coming as the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. They don't understand it. They don't understand it. They don't get that part. And they begin to rejoice. And they begin to shout. Now here's the thing too. Uh, I, I was reading and studying this, this, the, second, the second thing I want you to write down here is the crowd. We see the cult, but then I want you to see the crowd. <clears throat> I, I've seen movies and I've seen pictures and, and, and I, I, I've seen uh, where they have dramatized this and, 
and, and here's this man on a, on a colt, and, and then you have like maybe one or two deep people on each side, kind of like a, a small town parade. But, but that's not the way it was. That's not the way it was. Uh, uh, theologians and, and, and Bible scholars studied the amount of uh, lambs that had been sacrificed and, and, and to that nature. And, and it was like up to 250, over 250,000 lambs. So that made it that there was over 2 million people in Jerusalem at this time. This was, this was a huge crowd. This was a huge ordeal. I'm talking about, it, it was, you, you can't even imagine. This was one of the biggest uproars of that day. And here they come. His disciples begin to shout, Hosanna to the king. Hosanna to the king. Hosanna to the king. Peace. Now the word Hosanna is a transliterated Hebrew word which means save now. They're quoting Psalm 118. And basically what they're saying is save now, save now, save now. And what are they meaning? Get Rome off our backs. We're going to, he's going to come. See, this is, now let me, let me explain. This is what they were literally thinking. They're thinking Jesus is fixing to come in. Why? He's already fed people and, and generated food in a miraculous way. He's just brought someone back from the dead. He has power to raise the dead. This is the one we've been waiting for. He's going to come into Jerusalem and he's going to kick Rome out of Jerusalem and we're going to be free. Save now. That's what they're saying. This is, this is, not, this is not really a true, deep, real, authentic worship of the holy king and a holy God, the son of God. They're thinking that this is a hero who will finally get Rome off their back. And Jesus knows it. He knows it's not authentic. He knows it's superficial. He knows that, listen, they don't get it. We see the crowd then we see the celebration. The celebration. Look what it says in Luke 19. Luke 19, verse 11. And as I heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem. And, and read it with me. Read it with me. And because, read it with me. Help me. It's in your notes. Right there in your notes. Luke 19, 11. And because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. It's time. So they start tearing down branches, laying their, laying their coats in the way as Jesus is coming in. And they're expecting a hero like a valiant soldier to come in and kill the Romans. And it was all physical carnal, earthly. And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. But they didn't get it. Now I'm going to show you something that most people don't even see and they've never put these two things together. In Luke 19, <clears throat> number, let's see what number are we at? Number, number five. We see a superficial celebration then we see number five. We see a grieving cry. A grieving, a grieving cry. I, I put it there in your notes so it would be easy to find. Let's read it. Let's read it. Luke 19, 37. This is the same, this is the same situation but Luke's account. Are y'all with me? I'm not going too fast, am I? This is the same account, or excuse me, the same situation, same story, same everything, but this is Luke's account. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works which they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and, and wept over it. He wept over it. 
I looked up that word wet, the, the Greek word kleo, which means to wail, to sob out loud. So here we find Jesus coming in, coming into Jerusalem, and everybody's shouting, everybody's celebrating, everybody's clapping, and, 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 and they're, they're, they're quoting they're quoting really a, 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 a hymn, Psalm 118, that they would sing at the Halil. And, 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 and here they're, 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 they just know, listen, Rome is no more. We're not going to be slaves anymore. He's going to come into Jerusalem. He's going to do some kind of miracle. If he can raise the dead, he can get them off of our backs. We're going to be free finally. And Jesus is coming in. When he gets into Jerusalem, he sees Jerusalem, he begins to weep. Not just, not just a trickle of a tear, not just misty eyes, but he, he began to weep and to sob in such a way. He was grieving. He said, what, what, what's, what's the deal? He was grieving. Because of what he knew. What did he know? Write, hey, write this down. There was shallow belief. Shallow belief. Now see, if, if, if we didn't have, if we didn't have the opportunity to read the rest of the Gospels, if we didn't have the opportunity to see, you know, what, what we already know, it would sound like, man, this is great. They're rejoicing, they're worshiping, they're celebrating. Hey, man, this is just an awesome deal. But see, we know the same people that are saying, Hosanna to the king, Hosanna to the king, peace in heaven, glory, are the same people in just a few days say, crucify him, crucify him. Every bit of their faith, their belief, their religion was superficial. It was skin deep. In other words, let me put it this way. And by the way, that's prevalent today. Let me, let me, let me lay it out this way. Glory to God as long as I get what I want. Praise his name as long as he's feeding me. Amen as long as he's saying peace be still to the storms in my life. God is good as long as everything's great. But what if he doesn't wake up and stand on the bow of your boat and say, peace be still? What if he didn't come to kick Rome out of your life, but he came to suffer? How deep is your belief? They're rejoicing, and he's weeping. Listen, not only is he grieving over shallow belief, but he's grieving over coming judgment. Look what it says. Look what it says. And when he had come near, he beheld the city and he wept over it. Look what it says in verse 42. Saying, if thou hadst known, even thou at the least in this thy day, the things which belong unto the, thy peace. But now they are hid from thine eyes. In other words, if you just knew what God had planned for you. For the days shall come, the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee around and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. 
This is talking about pregnant mothers. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. In other words, he's saying you, 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 you knewest not the time of the visitation. Who? Of the Messiah. That he was God's son. That he was the Messiah. And you didn't recognize it, even though you should have. You should have known the prophecies. You should have known the scriptures. You should have known all of these things. But when he came into his own, his own received him not. Now, what is he seeing? Jesus is looking down through history, and he's looking down all the way to 70 A.D. In 70 A.D., Titus came, and he surrounded Jerusalem, just like he said. They built embankments and they built bulwarks all around the city and closed it off and just about starved them out. And then section by section came in and began to destroy people. And tens of thousands of people were slaughtered, men, women, and children, babies cut out of mother's stomachs. And judgment came. Judgment came because they rejected their Messiah. Jesus is weeping because he knows there's shallow belief. And he knows because of their rejection, judgment is coming. Most people, I'll put myself in this category, most of the time when I've seen these, this in movies and I've, 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 heard preaching on the triumphal entry, here comes the king. They always leave that part out. And I never realized the significance of that part and how that tied together. Jesus is so burdened. He knows knows what's coming. And this just brings us, and this is what makes the next point make so much more sense. The last point. What was number one? Let's review quickly. Number one. Quickly, quickly. Okay, number one. We see the. All right. <laughs> number two. All right. Divine correction. Number three. All right. Number four. You know, I don't understand a word y'all are saying. <laughs> I hope y'all are saying what's right. Amen. Number four should be the superficial celebration. Is that what you have? And then we have a colt, a crowd, and a celebration. Is that what you have? All right, then we have a grieving cry. Two things, a shallow belief and a coming judgment. Are we together? All right, all right. Number, number six. Number six. This is amazing. And I've never seen this before until I, till I studied this. The Bible says... Right after, right after Jesus is grieving over his, his knowledge and his awareness of their rejection, look what it says in verse 19. <clears throat> the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after them. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was a Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see. We would see. Come on, everybody, loud. We would see. You know what the Jewish people said? We would see a sign. Show us a sign. Show us a sign. Let's see some hocus pocus. Let's see some magic, man. Do something. Prove who you are. Jesus said, an adulterous generation seeketh a sign. They said, we we would see a sign. But the Gentiles said, we just want to see Jesus. (laughs) What do we see? What's happening here? What is happening At the exact moment, at the exact moment that the Pharisees are conniving and desiring and planning on crucifying Jesus, the Gentiles 
are saying, I want to see him. The Gentiles are showing interest in the Jewish Messiah. So what is this? What is this? Write this down. Write this down. I want you to see it's a pictured church. In other words, this is kind of like a prophetic illustration, a picture of the church coming into being. What do we have? Two things. Two things. We have the rejection of the Jews and the reception of the Gentiles. Why? Listen, how was the church formed? The church is primarily a Gentile. It was meant for the Jews. They rejected him, and so it was turned to the Gentiles. Look what it says. Look what it says in your verse. Romans eleven eleven. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation is come unto who? For to provoke them to jealousy. Listen, this is just a this is just a picture of what was to come. Jesus would be crucified. Jesus would be rejected. The Jewish people would turn against him. He came into his own and his own. And God turns to the Gentiles. And now primarily the church, the New Testament church, is a Gentile church. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. Listen, let's believe on him. With all our heart. He is in the next chapter, excuse me, not in the next chapter. We're going to still be in this chapter next week. But we're going to, we're going to, to see a more intimate understanding of the cross and why the cross was necessary and the importance of the cross. Because you see, the disciples, they're not seeing a cross. They're seeing a crown. And not the thorny one neither. They're seeing a coronation. They're seeing Jesus coming into Jerusalem and him taking the throne. And, and finally, finally, it will be fulfilled. He'll sit on the throne of his father David. We're going to rule and reign. But you can't wear a crown till you carry a cross. Amen. Jesus came to pay our debt. Jesus came to be the lamb. And so we're going to, we're going to see that next week. And all God's people see it. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your mercy. God, I pray that you'll help us.